They were loud and triumphant and kings of Henrietta because they'd found the ley line and because it was starting, it was starting. Chapter 24, page 234, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm Navita. And we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and their very best friend, who just happens to be a sentient, talking, magical forest. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode eight, and we'll be covering chapters 23 and 24 of The Raven Boys. We'll also be taking a deep dive on EMFs. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before you listen. Yep. We'll use the pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from paperback editions where available. And very soon we will have all, all of, of them. them. <laughs> <laughs> and a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 fox weight drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, no gray man violence. <laughs> I promise. All right. <laughs> okay, let's get let's started. Get started. <laughs> so we are actually just going to discuss Cabe's Water as a character. And honestly, I don't want to get too much into it because it's very complicated. Cabe's Water is a very complicated thing, a very complicated place, very complicated set of beings. Yes. But there was one quote actually from the Raven King that I thought was really pertinent to this particular chapter. Mm -hmm. And it's from when Artemis is giving his story about the Tierra Lentes and whales and all of that. And he says, A forest of Tirialentes is something indeed. Mirrors pointed to mirrors, the Amavias churning up below us, dreams held between us. I thought yeah. that was really appropriate considering that. Yes, that is that what is Cabe, Cabe's, Cabe's water is. Cave's water defined, <laughs> yes. So we're going to get right into the chapters. Chapter 23 is a blue POV. The helicopter is landed outside of a mysterious plot of land marked by the shape of a giant raven. Despite the misgivings of his sister, Gansey leads his newly gathered crew on an exploration that discovers a place where time stands still, fish change colors, and trees give visions of terrible futures. All right. So with this, we are actually halfway through the first book. Woohoo! And uh, page 204 was in the last chapter. And we're finally getting to the conflict portion of our five-act structure. Right. Like, everything up to this point has been world-building and exposition mm -hmm. and sort of just getting the band all together. And right. now we have that. And they're finally plotting a course of action that will ultimately lead to the rising action and conflict. Right. And I also have to admit that I was fairly intimidated by these chapters because there's so much here. Because it's so crucial. It's like, so, it is the point of the whole book. It's dense, too. It, mm -hmm. Going through my book and highlighting things to talk about, it was practically every line, yet we cannot spend, you know, five hours talking about every single line in these right. chapters. So we have three more books to flesh out the details of Cave's Water, and I just hope we can do it justice here. Right. Yeah. Anyways, so that being the case, let's go ahead and 
get into it. Yeah. So the Gangzi hops out of the helicopter to explore the area around the Raven geoglyph. And Blue notes that Gangzi is energized and powerful, like a king in his castle. And that line makes so much sense to me because this is where Gangzi is supposed to be and what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it also was the leapt and strode as if he owned the place. And later Blue notes that Gangzi strode everywhere because walking was for ordinary people. <laughs> and that's in The Raven Boys, page 264. And I love how Gangzi jumps out and Ronan is at his side, the sword to his king. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, Ronan is his sword. Yes. And then Blue thinks to herself, it smelled wonderful in the middle of this field, though. All grass and trees and somewhere water and lots of it. Blue thought she might live here quite happily. And yeah, well, Cape's Water is, while not exactly Blue's home, it's definitely her heritage. Yeah, and I noted that she may be feeling the other Tyrialentes nearby. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah, like that's probably why she's feeling such a connection, connection to, to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Revelations in these books for me are like, wait, what? Yeah, uh, oh, right, of course. <laughs> because, like, I feel the same way about Blue being a, a tree light, a Tyrolinthe, as I did about Noah being a ghost. Mm-hmm. It's, looking back, it's all right there, right in front oh, of me. Yes. And it's spelled out very clearly. Oh, yes. And somehow, <laughs> somehow I always knew, except I didn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then I noted um, Blue noticing Adam. How he looks at home here and how his hair color matches the tips of the grass and how he looks handsome and how she'd like to have him hold her hand again. Yeah. They're so cute. Yeah. <laughs> also, in terms of the cycles, this is a homecoming for Adam as well because he becomes Caveswater's magician. And yeah. like, this is where this all starts. Yeah, I definitely picked up on Adam looking at home here and made the connection to Caveswater and the magician mm-hmm. as well. And Blue notes that, as we discussed in last episode, that the geoglyph isn't really visible close up. Right. She says that the flying part wasn't bad. You sort of have to give up control, don't you? And I thought, no wonder Adam hates it. That's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) He has to actually trust someone else to do something? Uh I don't think that that's, you know, that's not Adam's nature. Adam and Blue discuss Ronan. And Adam's like, he's a pit bull. And Blue's like, well, I've known some really nice pit bulls. (laughs) And Adam's like, well, he's the kind that makes the evening news. Gansey's trying to retrain him. And that kind of fits Mm -hmm. Ronan's personality right now. It's also another instance of Ronan being referred to as a dog and specifically Gansey's dog. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And Blue notes that, like, this retraining process... Oh, how noble that Gansey's trying to do this. And Adam's like, it makes him feel better about being Gansey. Right. Yeah. Adam looked at the ground, avoiding Blue's eyes. He really knows that he's apologizing for Gansey. Mm-hmm. He also notes that Gansey has blue blood in his veins, which I just <laughs> thought was pretty funny. Right. And when they find Gansey, there's a scene that I kind of like. It's Gansey, arms outstretched, basically like screaming into the forest. Are you listening, Glendower? I am coming to find you. Gansey's voice, ebullient and ringing, echoed off the tree-covered slopes around the field. Adam and Blue found him standing in the middle of a clear, pale path. His arms stretched out, his head tilted back as we shouted into the air. Yeah, and this is Gansey for me at his most charming. Uh-huh. Because I... I get swept up in how much he loves this. For me, it's really easy to see how his enthusiasm rubs off on his friends. Absolutely, because, yeah, he has that kind of, like... Boyish charm that just, like, come on, come on, guys, come Uh, on, come on, come on. It just makes you want to go along with him. (laughs) Yes. 
Adam's mouth made the soundless shape of a laugh. Of course it did, because Adam can't yeah. be, like, loud and showy. I know, it He hurts. can't have fun, <laughs> and it's it's so sad. Mm-hmm. And then they discover that the raven is made of crushed oyster shell. And Gansey says, oyster shells on bare rock. What do you think of that? And to be honest, I think that there's no way crushed oyster shells would last 600 years in the Virginia Hills. Like just a line of crushed oysters on. Probably not. Yeah. And so, you know, as we discussed last episode with the Nazca lines, the only reason that they still exist is because there's very little wind, very little water, very little erosion. And so I feel like they would have washed away if it's just shells on bare rock. Mm -hmm. And this kind of lends weight to the hypothesis that I presented at the end of the last episode that... Either the raven could be from Ronan's dreams, and that's why he kind of had that affectation in his voice, uh-huh. or that the raven could have been preserved by the magic of the ley line. But 600 years of just the right. line of oyster shells doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Just a, a real quick aside, we we'll probably need to cut this out, but did you hear that there was damage to the Nazca lines? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was so... going to I was gonna talk about that. Okay. Yeah. I, I was wondering... Yes. I was wondering if you'd heard about it. Yeah, actually, Maggie tweeted about it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, this morning, that it just happened. Well, I mean, there has been several... There's been damage before, but yeah. this was like... Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it hurts. It does. So Henrietta is actually quite far from the coast, if my calculations are correct. I'd say it's probably right. about a five or a six hour drive. Mm-hmm. Because it's on the opposite side of the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Adam points out that Glendower would have come from the coast as well. Right. And Gansey pointed at Adam by way of reply. And in my head, this is 100% finger guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Gansey being Gansey, like... It absolutely is. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's not supposed to be. I'm sure it's just like, all right, Adam, you you go, buddy. <laughs> but like, I'm like, he like winks and finger guns. Pew, pew. <laughs> Because I mean, he's, he does that sometimes. I think I, 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 <laughs> he doesn't I shoot finger guns specifically. <laughs> Just in my head, because he's a total dork. <laughs> and then Blue says, "So you think that they put Glendower's body on a boat in Wales, sailed over to Virginia, then brought above the mountains? Why? <laughs> because Maggie is bonkers. We've covered this already." <laughs> <laughs> this question is not truly answered until Artemis' story about the Tiria Lentes, which we talked about at the top of the episode, about the ley lines failing and the trees being cut down in Wales and the demon on making Wales. Mm-hmm. And so this is where Gansey brings out the EMF meter and explains what it does. Yep. And Maggie calls it an electromagnetic frequency meter. And I always thought the F stood for field. It does. Okay. And maybe we'll get into this a little bit more. But would something detecting frequencies or even electromagnetic fields work once time had stopped? No. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) Okay. But I do want to point out, as I was pointing out earlier, (laughs) that I have some bad news for you (laughs) about reality and this series here. Wait, I wait, mean... wait, no, the physics are spot on. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Obviously, everything is completely scientifically accurate. <laughs> Tree people. Yes. <laughs> boys, uh-huh. boys who can dream up ravens. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm on board. Science. <laughs> <laughs> but EMF readers, it work when, when time, time stops. stopped. Uh-huh. 
Yeah? I don't see a problem with this. I love you, sweetie. (laughs) All right. We're going to get into our deep dive on EMFs now. (laughs) So Shannon did most of the, if well, like by most, I mean 99.5% of this, (laughs) possibly 99.9% of this deep dive. (laughs) Because my only comment is... Shannon, you got all scientific and stuff. And I was like, ghosts are cool. <laughs> and how do magnets work? Navina was sick for a week. Okay, guys. I'm so sick. <laughs> oh, so sick. My brain is not doing well. <laughs> so Shannon took over the deep dive on this one, and I appreciate her for that. <laughs> All right, so AMF meters, as we mentioned just a second ago, electromagnetic field meters are devices that measure ambient magnetic fields. They're meant to detect problems with electrical wiring and appliances, and they come in two types, one axis and three axis. Three axis meters triangulate the location of the magnetic field based on readings from three different internal detectors aligned in three different planes. One axis meters, on the other hand, can only detect the magnetic field if they're on the same plane as that field. This means that three axis meters can give you a better idea of the general strength of the field, while one axis meters are useful for finding the direction in which the field runs. They're not the source itself. I did see a kind of how to use an EMF. I saw several. This is about this was the level of research I could do. There were several YouTube videos <laughs> that I watched about how to use an EMF meter. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I found one too that was really useful and put a link to it in the notes. Yeah, it basically one of the things that he said was that a lot of ghost hunters, which we might get into, or you will be getting we'll into. definitely getting into. Um, but that the one axis meter is easier to yes. kind of mess with uh-huh. like and get false positives on. Yeah, as you just said, the uh, EMF meters are particularly popular in ghost hunting. This is mainly due to the sci-fi channel show Ghost Hunters. And I think that this is because they wanted something that looked flashy, kind of like a PKE meter from Ghostbusters. Right. <laughs> Well, it makes noise uh-huh. and it flashes lights. And you can get a big number. Right. Like, and it's, it makes for good television. Oh, it it's does. It's dramatic. Absolutely. Yeah. One axis meters are great for this because, mm. like I mentioned a minute ago, the one axis meters only give high readings if they're in alignment with the magnetic field. Right. And that means that the reading can jump impressively when the meter is moved just a little. Right. Because, like, you just twist it 90 degrees and uh-huh. your reading, like, bottoms out. Right. I couldn't find any real consensus on why magnetic fields would indicate the presence of ghosts. In fact, even in the ghost hunting community itself, I I can't find any like, oh, this is why. Yeah, and I put a little bit of something that might be related down at the bottom of the deep dive so we can talk about that slightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of what I found was pretty upfront that the connection is mysterious. Mm Mm-hmm. And the idea is that the presence of a ghost is supposed to cause fluctuations in magnetic fields. Unfortunately, there are lots of things that can cause fluctuations in magnetic fields in both the low and the high frequency ranges. Right, right. So I wanted to talk really quickly about extreme low frequency or ELF. I get to use a little bit of the ham radio knowledge that I mentioned early, <laughs> earlier in the All the Cricket Saints special episode. Right. Frequency and amplitude, which is the height of the wave, right. are inversely proportional. So the lower the frequency, the bigger the wave. The less yeah. often the wave actually signs. Completes, right. yes. Mm-hmm. Signs, cosines. So this means the electromagnetic waves in the extremely low frequency ELF range are kilometers in size. Mm-hmm. So that if an EMF meter were picking up something in the ELF range, this 
swears could be counties or maybe even states away. Right. That's more, like you said, ham radio or yeah. just radio waves mm-hmm. or those types of things. Yeah, but if that wave was what was causing the... The fluctuations. Yeah, the fluctuations. The ley, ley line or... Oh, no, no. Like, just the fluctuation that the meter is reading in general. I think they're actually, like, mainly picking up higher frequencies. Oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. there's they are picking up actual electronic yeah. fields around mm-hmm. electronic exactly. items mm-hmm. in a home. They're yeah. not picking up, like, radio waves. In higher frequencies, which the meters are most likely to encounter, there are still innumerable things that could cause fluctuations in the magnetic fields. A skeptic Joe Nickel once investigated a haunting where he found the source of the fluctuation was a file cabinet that was jostling by footsteps. Again, unlikely to be able to find the exact quote for this, but I'll try. Yeah. Um, well, and I could see how that could be if there was some sort of an unshielded outlet behind the file cabinet and the file cabinet itself is metal. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it is blocking and then unblocking. I mean, because you have yeah. to have an electrical source right. to have an EMF. Right. It makes sense, but it was not the file cabinet that was causing right. it. it. I mean, it was causing the fluctuations, but yeah, not the, source the EMF. Of the Situation, like I said. Yeah. I just wanted to point out what little thing could be right, causing. Right. Yeah. And in the case of the ghost hunters, it could be their camera crew because, like, people can interrupt the. Right. Uh, you the walk field in front. Well. Yeah. You walk um, in front, and all of a sudden you're 70% water and you're grounding the EMFs. Uh-huh. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And, or their equipment. Right. Mm-hmm. And it could definitely be the electrical conduit they were holding an EMF meter to and exclaiming about the reading. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how I said earlier that the purpose of EMF readers is to check how good insulation on wiring is? Well, like, no, that is exactly what they would do is they would go through and check all of the wiring in the house to make sure that that was not the source of mm-hmm. the feelings that people were having. So. Yeah, I, I was just remembering them being like, oh, wow, look at this reading. It's like, you know, the ghosts are out here and, and like it's right next to a big conduit. And I was just like, oh, For boy. ghost hunters? Yeah. Yeah, I will see if I can find that as well. <laughs> I've seen other shows that have been like you guys. Mm, maybe maybe it was dorks. like another show, but anyway, I'll try to figure out where I saw that. Okay. <laughs> So science does know a little bit about the effects of magnetic fields on people. Mm-hmm. If the angular gyrus, like a part of the brain, is exposed to strong magnetic fields, for example, it can cause the person to perceive a shadowy figure behind them. This is because a disruption is causing a discrepancy between the person's actual position and where they think they are. Mm-hmm. Magnetic field stimulation in the same area is also theorized to be a source of out-of-body experiences for similar reasons, right. basically. One, shall we say, less than reputable experiment involving magnetic fields was nicknamed the God Helmet. So good. (laughs) Isn't that a great name? Well, this whole experiment is... (laughs) freaking great <laughs> i love it it was developed by stanley corin i think i'm pronouncing that right and michael persinger the base of the helmet was a snowboarding helmet with solenoids placed on the temples the solenoids would produce what researchers called weak but complex magnetic fields at frequencies found naturally in the human body patterned off say like eegs mm-hmm. They're about the same strength as, say, the field around a hairdryer or a landline telephone mm-hmm. and weaker than your average fridge magnet. Okay. So subjects were placed in an acoustic chamber, which was also a Faraday cage, a room that blocks magnetic fields except for the ones produced by the Earth itself. Mm-hmm. And this was to allow the researchers to test for effects of geomagnetic fields and the effects of small magnetic fields from the helmets. And now we get to why the device was nicknamed the God Helmet. Mm-hmm. As many as 80% of the study participants in this study reported having some sort of experience while wearing the helmet. 
There are instances of people sensing another presence in the room, often interpreted by the person as angels, someone they had known who had passed on, or a group of beings of some kind that they didn't even know what it was. Some described it as experiencing God. Mm -hmm. However, when other groups tried to replicate the experiment, they were unable to reproduce the results. Or if they were, they were even able to do so with a sham helmet or with the helmet turned off. Right. And this suggests a psychological rather than physical reason for the results. Yeah, I was thinking, well, they think they're being watched by someone. Possibly scientists? (laughs) (laughs) They're probably being videotaped for an experiment of some kind. And so maybe they're like, you know, you're expecting to see something and so you do. Your brain, you're isolated in a room with... And people see all kinds of hallucinatory things just in salt flotation tanks, like Uh isolation tanks. Your brain just does that. You need stimulation. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, just my two cents worth. There is zero evidence to support using EMF meters to find ghosts. And that's not even getting into ghosts if ghosts are really real. (laughs) Sorry, Noah. What? Noah's not real? (laughs) No one can even give a clear answer as to why it should work or would work. Mm -hmm. While exposure to very strong EMFs is dangerous, the effects of low-level EMFs, like we're exposed to every day, have been and still are being extensively studied and so far have been found to be safe. Mm -hmm. However, it almost seems like Gansey is using the EMF meter for its intended purpose because the ley line in the book is described almost as if it's like an electrical line or conduit. Right. All right. And then my addition to this kind of related, kind of unrelated, was the whole do ghosts or those sorts of entities drain batteries? Because it would make sense that some sort of entity would be attracted to a source of energy, which is Mm -hmm. what we're really dealing with here. Right. When we're talking about an EMF reader, it's not necessarily that they are manipulating a magnetic field. It's that they might be manipulating the energy that the magnetic field is representing. Right. I did find some interesting experiments, although, you know, sample size was very, very small. There was one experiment where a researcher basically set up a device. They tested batteries, like just AAA or AA batteries Mm -hmm. in a very simple, like running an LED bulb. And they just had it on a load test and tested how long the batteries drained in an unhaunted quotes location (laughs) and a haunted location Mm -hmm. sample size was really small but they found that the batteries from the same package in the haunted location drained 23 percent faster than the batteries in the same device at the unhaunted location interesting and of course they said well it was not exactly the same temperature or humidity so those could have been factors Mm -hmm. we need a much larger sample size etc etc and you got to make sure you're using the exact same model it was the exact same device I was like, with what, the exact same batteries from the exact same package. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, what were they putting them in to drain them, basically? It was just a very simple battery pack hooked up to a light. Oh, okay. With a load tester to test how much battery oh, okay. power yeah, was still sense. in the batteries. Right. And so it was actually the same device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was being used in both locations. Oh, and it was the, okay. It was yeah, the batteries so they from the did exact it at one same plot spot and then went to the other. Okay. And one of the things was well, maybe the batteries were faulty, but we did it three times. I mm. mean, three times is not a big, very big sample size, though. So. so there was that. And then just the whole like, why do people who are in haunted houses feel cold spots? And that's because mm-hmm. temperature or heat is a source of energy, just like electro- electromagnetic field. That's how they kind of could be intertwined. 
So I love Blue's disdain for the EMF reader. Yes. She just seems very adamant that science and magic do not mix. <laughs> She's like, it seemed to insult both the box holder and magic. Yes. And Gansey holds it over his head as if he were calling aliens. aliens. Ha <laughs> I told you. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> the banter between Gansey and Blue just cracks me up. She could tell that he very much wanted her to say that he wasn't normal, so she replied, I'm sure it's quite normal in some circles. Yeah, I do love that Blue is teasing Gansey back. It's pretty great. And Gansey brings up the corpse road, and Blue's response is basically like, uh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so Gansey backs off, letting Blue explain, and Blue explains the corpse road and that the dead travel in straight lines. Yes, and we explain the ties between the ley lines and corpse roads in episode three. Right, and we, we even touched on fairy paths, and that's mentioned later in chapter 24. Mm-hmm. I think you brought that up too. Yeah. It's interesting that Blue notes Gansey's broad, glorious, old Virginia accent here. It's like he's afraid of slipping up, but the accent he puts on to be his most polite makes her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Blue's words felt clumsy beside him. It is a subtle touch of the tension of class identity between mm-hmm. the two of them. Yeah. I noted Gansey using big words. Animus. Quiddity. Adam is right. I didn't know the word quiddity until I played the game Quarriers, where you use it. <laughs> Him using those big words seemed to say to me that maybe I was wrong and that he wasn't trying to be polite, that he feels a little threatened. Yeah, I disagree, though, and there's reasons later why, but mm-hmm. I tend to throw out ridiculously complicated words in normal conversation, and it's just kind of how we think. Plus, quiddity is ultra awesome. <laughs> it's the <laughs> whatness. I know. It literally is the whatness. I know. I mostly <laughs> remember it from Clive Barker at this mm-hmm. point, though. So, like, it's said that basically he... Like Glendower would die for good if he was removed from the line. So question, why the hell didn't they just put him to sleep once they reached the ley line in Virginia? Is there any indication that he was actually put to sleep in Wales and not that they just all sailed across the sea together? Was he injured and he needed to be put into stasis or like this is a plot hole? I mean... (laughs) Like, I was assuming that he was injured because didn't, like, the English think that he was dead? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and Blue asks, why not just leave him in Wales? And Gansey goes into an explanation of how there was a failed revolution and the body wouldn't have been respected. And Blue thinks that the way he began the story, at once striding through the grass and eyeing the EMF meter, let Blue know that he had told it many times before. So many times. So many times. <laughs> And Blue says that the grass comes up to her waist, so it's like 28 inches tall? Maybe. (laughs) And this is the first time that we as readers hear the full Glendower story, and Blue again stands in as audience proxy to Gansey's quest Mm -hmm. here. And then Blue asks if being hung, drawn, and quartered is as painful as conversations with Ronan. Adam again (laughs) swallows a laugh. Poor Adam. Mm -hmm. And Gansey comments that it depends on if Ronan is sober. Is it more or less painful when he's sober? And it's another rather heartbreaking statement. Mm -hmm. 
And then it's, uh, trust Lynch to deface a place like this five minutes after getting here. Deface? He's marking his territory. <laughs> well, actually... Yes. It, it does kind of belong to him. Uh-huh. This is the second time in the chapter that Ronan is compared to a dog. It's true. And Gansey says, I don't think he's ever used an indoor toilet now that I consider it. Gansey would know, considering the toilet is in the kitchen. That's or gross. Or vice versa. <laughs> yes. both, both the fact that Gansey would know and the fact that the toilet is in the kitchen. That's so sick. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm with Mallory on this one. <laughs> this all seemed very manly and agly and beta blue. This culling of one another by their last names and bantering about outdoor urinary habits. It also seemed like it could go on for a long time, so she interrupted, changing the subject back to Glendower. Good call, Blue. Good call. Just wait until you hear about the Great Beard War of 2012, Blue. (laughs) You think this is manly? (laughs) Oh... Gansey is so innocently startled when Adam states that no one knows who Ned Kelly is that it was clear that Adam had been right before about his not meaning to be condescending. Right. That's what I was referring to just a little bit earlier. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Blue asks, why the mountain? And Gansey... Gansey is reminded of a phone call from Mallory. And so Blue is kind of annoyed that he doesn't answer her. Instead, he starts talking to Adam about this phone call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gansey eventually answers that the ritual had to be done at the heart of it, where the most energy is. Mm-hmm. And I would also point out again that the Appalachians have a connection, both culturally and physically, to the British Isles. Just right. kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of connections. So like, it makes sense to me that the ley line would go from the British Isles to that part of America America. if it was going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just another instance of the usage of the word heart, Mm -hmm. though not necessarily with particular significance. Right. Adam surprises Blue by asking about Blue's energy, if her powers would be enough to wake the lion. Fitting that the person who wakes the lion and becomes the magician should be the first to grasp how it works. Right. And Adam already seems to get so much more of this than he actually, like, realizes that he gets. Yes. Yeah. I think intuitively. Mm -hmm. Although he wouldn't necessarily feel like it. Right. Exactly. Like I said, he doesn't realize Mm -hmm. it. He doesn't think he does. But Yeah. And question. Mm -hmm. Would an EMF reader be able to pick up on the amplified waves from Blue? Or, because she's not actually doing the generation of the energy, would it be a blank? Huh. Because later, when they find Noah's bones, Blue is holding the meter and it seems to pick up the ley line energy more easily. So it's almost like she's just working as a conduit to the EMF yeah, meter. Yeah, it's a good question. But I was like, if he just swung it and pointed it at her, what would it, it do? Would happen. Yeah. That's a good question. Because she's a mirror, so it, like, would yeah, it be reflecting the energy back to the EMF but meter? She's, also been, she's she... also been described as a battery, which would be like... Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, anyway, it's one of those, hmm, I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Blue was absurdly pleased that he'd remembered and also absurdly pleased that he'd responded to her instead of Gansey. Yeah, and she says, I make things that need energy stronger, like ghosts and demons. Uh Uh-huh. And this is the first, possibly, you said... Possibly only, mm-hmm. yeah. Mention of the walking battery slash Starbucks table by the outlet line. Right. 
I mean, I think that she's referred to as a battery several battery times. Memory, yeah. yeah, but I think that maybe I think they revisit that. Like she's like, oh yeah, start, right. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. quite possible. I just couldn't remember. But, and yeah, I don't remember specifically either. And then this is definitely Gansey being a bit condescending, calling her a table at Starbucks. I mean, mm-hmm. he again probably doesn't mean it. Adam shook his head at Blue, like he understands it from both sides. He both knows Gansey as his friend and uh-huh. what Blue is feeling. Mm-hmm. To Gansey, he said, I'm saying that she could turn a regular part of the lily line into a doable place for the ritual. Again, Adam gets it. Yeah, my note was, Adam is so smart. He is. Yeah. In, like, a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Gansey asks, can your battery get drained by things other than conversations about prostitution? Gansey. Yes, Gansey. <laughs> yes, by your very presence. He does love teasing her already, that's for sure. Yeah. The church watch had obviously taken something from her. Maybe there were consequences that she had yet to discover. Hello, Blue. Did you not notice the demon trying to manifest a few days earlier? In your backyard, In your through ba- your aunt. <laughs> Maybe consequences. I don't know. Seriously, it was just three days ago. No object hmm. permanence. Gansey is holding the EMF reader directly over the water. The meter was pegged. And for some reason, and I tried to find this, I thought water actually dispersed EMF. So I'd have to go back and see if I can find mm-hmm. It reasons. should be an insulator, but... Yeah. I don't know what that's all about. Anyway. Yeah. It could be a folklore thing, too, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And then Ronan rejoins the group, and he and Adam look to the helicopter and sink. There are several instances in this chapter where Adam and Ronan do the exact same thing at the exact same time. Candy mm-hmm. says, I said, this is interesting. And Adam replies, and I said, Helen. <laughs> yes, it's like, I love this exchange so much. Mm-hmm. It is so basically them. Gansey getting caught up and getting excited and Adam being practical. Uh-huh. And then Gansey gets a baleful expression and Blue can tell that Adam's going to give in. I did tell you, mm-hmm. Adam said. It's so cute. <laughs> so they go into the trees and immediately the temperature drops several degrees. You know, is it the ley line? Magic? Probably the shade. Mm-hmm. But it seems like coolness like our beech tree instead of like cold in the churchyard. Yeah, I figured it was shade and proximity to water. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a meadow and then you step in under the trees. It's just going to be colder. Mm-hmm. Blue loves trees so much and I love her for it. This was a beautiful old wood, all massive oak and ash trees, finding footing among great slabs of cracked stone. Ferns sprang from the rocks and verdant moss grew up the sides of the tree trunks. The air itself was scented with green and growing and water. The light was golden through the leaves. Everything was alive, alive. She breathed, this is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and Renan was curiously muted, something about his posture defensive. Does he recognize where he is? Like, does he recognize the place? Yeah, I wrote down that he likely is recognizing it. And the unconscious defensive posture might be that he's scared of night horrors. Mm -hmm. And then Gansey pulls out his phone to demonstrate that Helen could text him if she gets too upset, but there's no signal. And I really doubt he's that disappointed about the fact that there's no signal. Uh Uh-huh. He doesn't seem to be at all. Yeah, no. And then he notices the time has stopped. Adam looks at his watch with the grubby band. His watch that he gives to the orphan girl who comes out of caves water. Uh Uh-huh. The grubby band makes my heart ache a little bit. Ronan is very dismissive of the watch. Uh-huh. 
So the next thing is that they start to figure out that time isn't working right. Mm -hmm. For a long moment, the four of them just looked at the three still hands on the phone's clock. Blue's heart marked off every second the clock didn't. Mm -hmm. And time working oddly here felt right to me somehow. Mm -hmm. Like, I immediately thought of the stories of the land of fairy that they talk about later. Right. And it fits perfectly with what we find out about ley lines in the cycle later. Right. As well. So, Gansey says, it's only that time has, I wonder if... And he doesn't finish his thought, but here's my feelings about the time stopping. It's revealed later that Caves Water responds to their thoughts and feelings, even the thoughts and feelings that are unconscious. Mm -hmm. So Gansey obviously wants more time to explore this place. Right. So Caves Water, in its first act of being incredibly obliging, Mm -hmm. has stopped time in order to make him happy. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And Gansey sets off, Ronin again, the knight errant by his side. Uh-huh. And <laughs> side note, have I told you my Gansey, Ronan, Adam, Arthurian counterparts theory? <laughs> <laughs> no? All right. We'll skip past that one. We'll do that later. <laughs> awesome. So Adam is Merlin, huh? No. Um, oh. <laughs> Right. Duh, Shannon. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So Adam Adam asked Blue if she's okay. And she was okay, but in the way that she'd been okay before the helicopter. She hadn't gotten out of bed in the morning expecting to encounter a place where possibly time didn't work. That's such a good quote, too. Uh It's so good. Although, like, isn't that exactly why she's coming on this quest? To find a place where magic happens? Right. So... (laughs) Expect to find the thing you want to find, Blue. Right. <laughs> Blue and Adam are super cute again. Right. <laughs> In a low voice just for her. My heart is beating like crazy right now. Where his warm wrists pressed against hers. And I need to tell him he can't kiss me. She wanted to feel his skin pressed against hers. Both of their pulses rapid and uncertain. And I'll just chime in with how lovely this is as well. Mm, it's don't, so I don't sweet. have anything to add, but yeah. <laughs> And I just love Blue's, oh, this de- is, yes. Blue's descriptions of this place. It's, this is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. Trunks like castles, turreted and huge. The canopy soared high overhead, rustling and reverent. And that phrase just sounds like trees in a slight breeze to me. It does. But it also makes me think of the Tirolentes talking. Uh-huh. And then remember when the trees started rustling in the backyard yes. when Neve was scrying in the kitchen? Absolutely. So it makes me think of those things. Mm-hmm. And everything was green, green, green. Blue thought she heard music. And I wondered if the music might be from the future. Like the scene where Caveswater plays music for them. Yeah. When Opal starts it with the birds and it's mm-hmm. coming back as a time echo. Possibly. The Raven King. And then Gansey thinks he hears Noah. And could that too be hearing a time echo? Possibly even Noah's voice or his speech during his own right. death? And Noah is what ties Gansey to Caveswater initially. So it makes sense for her to hear the trees and him to hear Noah. Uh Uh-huh. So they come upon like a really shallow pool. Mm -hmm. The pool was only a few inches deep and perfectly clear. The water was so transparent it begged to be touched. 
and compare that to the last water we saw around a tree and what the demon does to cave's water. The black, the darkness. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I also noted that in the future, water almost always seems to prove dangerous in cave's water, like the mirror lake and the acid pool. That's true. So it's just kind of odd. And again, we have a moment where Adam and Gansey are fighting over Blue without realizing it. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of doing the dominance thing or mm. or Adam is staking a claim here that he may not be realizing that he's staking. Mm-hmm. Gansey notices the fish and here they're pointed out as being silver and black. Mm-hmm. Adam asks how there are fish here and Gansey replies he doesn't know. Yeah, there's a quote beneath his hand, the water shifted and darkened and Blue realized. And I wonder if, again, Gansey just thought of fish and the swirl of darkness is the fish manifesting. A thousand tiny fish is a lot of fish to just appear in a pool only a few inches deep. Uh huh. And Gansey actually figures out later on the fish were almost certainly manifested because he wanted them to be there. Yeah. Fish don't come from the sky, but they can come from dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> and again, Blue thought she heard music. And if it's not a time loop, could the Tirialentes be talking through music or speak They possibly music? could be. And she comments that his face lights up and it's not the same sly pleasure of teasing Blue. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that she recognizes this. Yeah, absolutely. That he gets a pleasure out of it. Gansey looked up to them and she saw in his face that he loved this place. She recognized the strange happiness that came from loving something without knowing why you did. That strange happiness that was sometimes so big it felt like sadness. It was the way she felt when she looked at the stars. I know. it's. I love this too. It's so pretty. When you dream, do you dream of the stars? Mm-hmm. And then Gwenthian has a line in The Raven King, the same starry stuff in their veins after all. Uh-huh. Blue doesn't know it yet, but Cave's Water is a part of her. I know you're curious about... Yeah, I just wanted you to expand because I don't see... Other than the fact that she might be feeling a connection to the Tiria Lentes, how is Cave's Water a part of her? Mm, yeah, I think maybe it was more me thinking of the Tiria Lentes. Okay. And like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's Cave's Water specifically, but the Tiria Lentes and right coming to a place where yeah, this is like where her people are. I can mm. I can see that. Yeah, and so I kind of feel like by visibly falling in love with this place, Gansey is also kind of in a way visibly falling in love with Blue. Mm-hmm. And Blue reacts to this subconsciously by pulling away from Adam at this point once she sees this. Yeah, though the description is that she sees Gansey and he becomes closer to that spirit. In the churchyard again and Mm -hmm. she feels that wave of overwhelming grief well up inside of her Uh when she notices that Gansey becomes closer to that spirit right and then Blue pulls away from Adam and then walks over to a beech tree and puts her hands on it and I feel like maybe she's just grounding herself because that's her calm place yeah I mean I I feel like they're both true Mm -hmm. and then Adam this was Ronan's voice And I believe that Ronan only calls Adam by his first name under times of great emotional distress. Uh And it really only happens once per book, although I did find a second in this book. Um, Mm. It's a really big indicator of Ronan's feeling when he's confronted with the nightmare tree. Right. That he is disturbed enough to call Adam by his first name. And then here, the four of them split into what will essentially be their final pairings. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Gansey starts to realize the fish might be there just because he thought they should be. And he tells this to Blue, and Blue's response is, okay, God. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> I think this might be the only time Gansey is referred to as a god. I mean, usually he's called a king, mm-hmm. although the others are called gods several times. So I just thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then Gansey's like, so what was it that one woman said? With the hair? With the hair. I know. So great. <laughs> What's great is that he says the woman with the hair and Blue's like, oh, Persephone. Persephone. <laughs> <laughs> what was it that one woman said with the hair about perception? No, intention. And Blue's immediately like, oh, Persephone. And intention is for cards, not fish. Life isn't negotiable. It is when you can dream living beings into existence. Uh-huh. And I really find it so funny that Blue is being so skeptical because isn't this exactly what she wanted? Right. Maybe it's a case of like, you know. Not wanting to believe that you're being handed the thing that you actually mm-hmm. wished for. I mean, yeah. yeah, I guess. Blue acknowledges that the fish hadn't been read before. And Gansey mentions that he'd been thinking about brook trout. And that brook trout being there might have made sense. Mm-hmm. And then it says that the fish were not a little red, but bright red, sunset red, red as a dream. Red as a dream. <laughs> <laughs> like they'd never been any other color. And I found a video of brook trout. Not only are they not that small, but they are not bright red. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they do have red sides, but. Mm-hmm. Something in her ached, though, like she did understand, but couldn't put words to it, wrap her thoughts around it. She felt like she was part of a dream that this place was having, or it was part of a dream of hers. And Maggie is like, are you guys paying attention? Mic drop. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Adam calls out, and Blue notices Adam and the tree reflected in the pool, the mirror image colder and more distant. And Ronan observes in the dream thieves that Adam, after making the bargain with Cave's water, is stronger, stranger, and farther away. And then Ronan is looking at something Blue can't see over Adam's shoulder. Doesn't really say what it was, but it's Mm -hmm. just kind of interesting. Yeah. And Blue notices that Adam's accent is prominent, which she already knows means that he's too bothered to hide Mm -hmm. it. And the tree Adam is standing beside seems creepy even to Blue. Moist, uneven, black, jagged, thin edges. Tree's continued survival seemed miraculous. Or magical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The way he was breathing reminded Blue of what it felt like to wake after a nightmare. Heart pounding, breath snagging, legs aching from a chase you never really ran. Yeah, which is exactly what is happening in the tree. Ronan describes the tree as a nightmare tree. It shows you the worst case scenario. And this jives for what happens to Blue and Adam, but not so much for Gansey. Uh huh. And I was wondering what exactly Adam sees when he goes into the tree. Mm -hmm. And it's like, did he see when the demon through him attacks Gansey? Or maybe he saw a potential timeline where, like, it succeeds and that's what kills Gansey? It's never described what Adam does to Gansey in the vision. It's only described that Ronan basically says the exact same words to him Mm -hmm. over his own double in Blue Lily Lily Boo. Right. And then Ronan said, flat as a board. And you can always tell when Ronan is at his most upset when his voice is the most 
almost inflectionless. Right. So Ronan refuses to go into the tree, and it sounds just like his refusal to take a card. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, does he know what the tree is, or is Mm -hmm. it just instinct? Yeah, he knows the tree. He knows what it does. Mm -hmm. He says later that he dreamed it. Nightmares, when I dreamt that tree, that's what it did. Worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And that's page 259 in The Raven King. It is also said that this first time... Ronan sort of feels like it's what he dreamed. So he may be like kind of in this weird liminal space of, wait, why? Why is this? Why is this here? here? Like, what does this mean? What's going on? He doesn't actually quite recognize that Caveswater is a place that he has dreamed up. Mm Mm-hmm. And Blue thinks it was hard for her to imagine being intimidated when surrounded by a tree. Mm -hmm. And she says that the warmth of the decaying matter in the tree made the tree seem as warm-blooded as her. Maggie, mic drop number two, beaches. (laughs) Beaches. (laughs) (laughs) So Blue goes into the tree, as we were just talking about, and almost at once she could smell rain, not the scent of rain coming, but the living, shifting odor of a storm currently waging. I don't have a copy of The Raven King handy, but this reminds me of the description of the storm at the climax of that book. Mm-hmm. Which would make sense because that's what's it going is on. The stor- <laughs> it, it is the storm at the climax of the book, yes. Mm-hmm. She was both in her body and watching it. And this is actually common in dreams for me to mm-hmm. have this feeling right. of being both a participant Third and yeah. and watching. Mm-hmm. She sees Gansey, rain-splattered, ugly and beast sweater. Henry's! Yep, got to point <laughs> it out. Just like in the churchyard. Right. He touched her cheeks with the backs of his fingers. This is a direct mirror to Gansey's own vision in the tree where he kisses Blue. Mm-hmm. The other Blue's tears seemed endless. One drop after another each following an identical path down her cheeks. And I feel like this both perfectly captures Blue's utter sorrow at this scene and the fact that this is a repeating cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at this point, I have to simply throw up my hands and say there are too many parallels to various scenes in the books. Uh From the drive up the mountain to Gansey's second vision in the tree to the first kiss at the end of The Raven King. Right. I wish I had time to quote them all, but that's what the several dozen more episodes will hopefully be for. Yeah. (laughs) We can't bring it all into this episode, though I tried. (laughs) I tried. She felt the pressure of his skin against hers, and suddenly she could smell mint. And I noted this is precisely what she said she was enjoying with Adam earlier. The press of skin, yeah. Mm. And the smell of mint comes up from the churchyard to the reading. It's all of Uh these, she notices it at all of these very significant moments in their life. Right. Impossibly, she realized this other blue was crying because she loved Gansey, and that the reason the other Gansey touched her like that, his fingers so careful with her, was because he knew that her kiss could kill him. And this feels so tender and sweet. Yeah. Though she couldn't understand why, her real present-day memories in the tree cavity were clouded with other false memories of their lips nearly touching a life this other blue had already lived. It's like, (laughs) Maggie, how do you keep hiding things from me in plain sight? Yeah. Yeah. It was right, though. Gansey felt the feeling of time slipping one last time, the sense of having done this before. He gently laid the backs of his hands on her cheeks. He whispered, it'll be okay. I'm ready. Blue, kiss me. 
And that's Aww. chapter 64 of The Raven King. <laughs> she comes out of the tree, out of the vision, and her guts were twisted with the ghostly grief and desire she'd felt in the vision. And I would describe that as her feelings for Gansey from the very start. Yeah. When she stepped out of the tree, she couldn't look at Gansey. And her reaction is something that Adam might interpret as Blue having seen the same vision he did. Uh-huh. Well, Gansey asked. She said, it's something. Yeah. The something that is starting. <laughs> yeah. Was this the future? Was this an alternate future? Was this just a waking dream? Waking dream. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, <laughs> there are a ton of times in these chapters where Maggie has scattered the D word. Yeah, so many. She couldn't imagine falling in love with Gansey of all people, but in that vision it has seemed not just plausible, but indisputable. And it's like that saying, all of this has happened before and it will all happen again. Yeah. And Adam pulls Blue to him. She didn't think he meant to be rough. And, you know, he's not rough, but he pulls Mm -hmm. her to him. He wipes her face with the heel of his hand, both an echo of the vision and the opposite of the vision. Right. The heel of his hand versus the backs of the fingers. Right. I want you to know, Adam whispered furiously, I would never do that. It wasn't real. I would never do that to him. And again, we don't know, like we said earlier, but I wonder exactly what he saw. Yeah, his vision is described briefly in chapter 41 of The Raven Boys on 368. Mm -hmm. There was blood everywhere. Are you happy now, Adam? Ronan says. He knelt beside Gansey, who convulsed in the dirt. It was his fault. Mm -hmm. And the convulsion makes me think bees... Yeah. But it's never described. And I think for me, the biggest thing is both of them see themselves killing Gansey for what it's worth. Right. And then also, technically, this is the second time Ronan calls him Adam in this book. Mm -hmm. Although mentally, I always place this instance in Blue Lily Lily Blue when he says it in the church. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Blue wants to ask him what he saw. But if she asked him what he'd seen, she'd have to tell them what she saw. And she really doesn't (laughs) want to. I don't blame her. (laughs) Ronan was staring at them raw as if he knew what had happened in the tree, even without attempting himself. And I'm like, yep, he knows. He knows what happened. The rawness of Ronan staring makes me wonder, too, what nightmares he's seen in the tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Have they ever been something about Adam? Uh He's witnessing a fairly intimate moment between Adam and Blue, and it could be striking a deeper chord in him right now. Yeah, maybe. And there was something very ancient about Gansey right then. Drink! Yep. (laughs) Navita was picking up her cup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he was himself, but something else too. Quite literally, Uh Maggie, suck it, punks! (laughs) Mic drop number three! There was a sense of otherness, of something more. Yeah, there's that something more that Blue so desperately wants. Mm-hmm. Adam is so afraid that Gansey will see his betrayal or however he causes Gansey's death. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't bear it. I love these guys so much. Mm-hmm. Also, so this does later, when we find out a little bit about what he sees, puts another brick in the Adam could be a villain pyramid. Yeah, it very easily could have turned out that yeah. way. Gansey cocks his head, a slow, dreamlike gesture. I was so tempted to go back and count how many times the word dream was used in this chapter. Uh-huh. It feels like once you're looking for it, that Maggie is just smacking you in the back of the head each time she mentions dreams. Do you see it yet? <laughs> uh. And yeah, Gansey says that he saw Glendower. 
I'm trying to remember, we get a clearer description of what he saw later, right? Yes, we get that Gansey had the vision up to the point where he's lifting the helmet off of Glendower's face. Oh, right. Okay. So, I believe, actually, I, I don't know. I would have to go I would back have to and actually find look. it. Yeah. Like I said, I wanted to research every single <laughs> parallel oh in this one single chapter with every single scene in the whole scene. Series and we're already at an hour and 15 minutes of recording. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have another chapter, but it's only one chapter, so, and it's a short one. Mm-hmm. All right. So, chapter 24 is a Gansey POV chapter. The gang, riding high on their feelings of discovery, discuss the findings of the day. They make plans for future research and hang out for the very first time as friends. Right. And the POV on this chapter starts out pulled pretty far into omniscient. Uh-huh. It's not quite hopping perspectives, but almost. And Maggie mm-hmm. does occasionally do this when she's trying to set kind of a wider atmosphere or look at it from a position from outside of the group. Right. And it said, as Adam had warned, <laughs> that just kind of cracks me up. <laughs> Adam tried to tell him. <laughs> yeah. They were not gone for two seconds but they were gone for seven minutes Mm -hmm. and Uh, this is an instance of seven mm -hmm. which we had talked we would look for yep and helen is furious right and the resulting interaction between helen and gansey and the other three just like noping out with the headphones (laughs) it just cracks me up because like that is so yeah i've been in those situations where just like nope i don't want to be involved in this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and here's the spot about Scottish folklore of fairies and a possible connection to ley lines. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Episode three. Yep. And it mentions that the time working differently was like they tripped on a wrinkle in space time. And I'm like, well, Tesseract! <laughs> it was a ley lines energy playing tricks. And Blue again calls the vision tree a dream. Uh-huh. Gansey pulled out his keys and swatted Ronan's hand away. It's emotion <laughs> born of long familiarity. Uh-huh. It would be a cold, cold day in Virginia's summer when Ronan was allowed to drive his car. When I was doing the reading, I was literally just like rolling laughing yeah. at this. Because the whole next book is due to Ronan driving Gansey's car. Maggie Mike drop number four. <laughs> The other two boys were already jostling her towards the pig. I love that it's both Adam and Ronan pushing her along with them. Uh-huh. And Ronan even laughs at Adam's, what's reasonable? Uh-huh. And Gansy's like, oh, don't worry, we'll get me back before you turn into a pumpkin. And this is kind of an inversion in the fact that it's not Cinderella who turns into a pumpkin. Oh, okay. I get it. Like, that's what I meant as, like, an inversion. Okay. And it's also the wrong story because it's Sleeping Beauty, not... Mm, I don't know. She Uh, gets to marry a handsome prince at the end. (laughs) Well, they all do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one, and, one yeah. can only hope all mm-hmm. right yeah um and gansey asks, oh oh you meant all of the princesses do yes i, I was thinking adam <laughs> well I that's true too you're like they all do and i'm like yep adam totally gets to marry handsome prince <laughs> We are so (laughs) keeping that. (laughs) All right, continue. (laughs) So Gansey asks if Blue is a nickname. Mm -hmm. And Blue's eyebrows got suddenly pointy, (laughs) running it from Kala. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I am very amused by the banter about names. Yeah, I love that they're teasing each other. Uh-huh. And Gansey rubbing his smooth chin with its recently assassinated chin hairs. Uh-huh. Beard war! <laughs> Ronan and Blue are compared for the first time, but certainly not the last. Mm-hmm. She was every bit as big as he, every bit as present. Uh-huh. And Gansey thinks to himself that it was like Blue, not the ley line, was the missing piece that he'd been needing all these years. Like the search for Glendower wasn't truly underway until she was a part of it. She was right like Ronan had been right, like Adam had been right, like Noah had been right. And this is basically the crux of my theory of why Gansey takes so long to find Glendower. Uh-huh. It's here and page 338 of The Raven King, which we will push off right. later. And Gansey mentions that he got a rush of relief from each of those realizations. He got the same rush of relief when he realized it was Blue's voice on the phone. Recording. On the recording. And then bantering about calling her Jane. And this becomes such a recurring thing that I wonder if there's a deeper meaning behind that name specifically. So let me just uh, tell a little story. A friend of mine who listens to the podcast on New Year's Eve came up to me and was like, okay, I was listening to the audiobooks and I was listening to the Dream Thieves and Gansey was being so annoying because he kept calling Blue Jane. And I don't understand. She says she doesn't like it, but he keeps calling her Jane. And I look at her and I go... But Dick and Jane are friends. Oh my god. That is the look she had. <laughs> it was like the skies opened up and a beam of sunshine came down. And she was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh my god. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Then the flip side is you can't just go around naming people other things just because you don't like their real name. But they <laughs> all do it to each other. Mm-hmm. Nicknames are a powerful indicator of the connections in these books. Right. From now on, Gansey only really calls Blue Blue when he's in distress or during emotional moments. Uh-huh. Just like Ronan calling Adam Adam. Right. And I think the first and possibly only time Ronan calls Blue Blue is when he's convincing her Mora is not drowned in right. the air lake. So nicknames have power they really in do. this series. Mm-hmm. And then Gansey to Ronan, your sense of what constitutes cool music is frightful. And I'm like, Gansey has a like, personal offense to that. Because <laughs> I have eerily similar music taste to Ronan with like Celtic and Electronica. But also, Gansey <laughs> is 80 years old. Uh-huh. So he of is. course he's going to think it's frightful. <laughs> and Blue says, does it always smell like gasoline? Only when it's running. Yes, so true. <laughs> And Blue wants to make sure that the car is safe. And Gansey replies, safe as life. Yeah. At the end of The Raven King, Adam asks to be untied after banishing the demon. And Gansey asks if it's safe. And Adam replies, safe as life. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I knew that that had been a recurring kind of phrase. And I know that Gansey already knows all their specialties mm-hmm. because it's like he wants to pick Blue's brain about energy. And he's like, Adam, tell me everything you remember about time and ley lines. And Ronan, I want you to tell me what you found out about dream time and song lines. Ronan was researching dreams and music. No further comments, your honor. Absolutely. Yep. 
And then Gansey ordered flavors of gelato until the table wouldn't hold any more bowls, and Ronan convinced the staff to turn the overhead speakers up, and Blue laughed for the first time at something Gansey had said, and they were loud and triumphant in Kings of Henrietta because they'd found the ley line and because it was starting, it was starting. This is one sentence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And not even the whole sentence. Right. And like normally run-on sentences drive me crazy, but this one so perfectly captures what this moment would feel like. I agree. I love it so much. It feels frenetic and joyous. It's so great. Yeah. Alrighty then. We have wrapped up the analysis portion. Hopefully that was fun. It was was a tough one. It was a little bit tough. There was a lot there. So, now to the most valuable character. Do you want to go first or shall I? <laughs> uh, I don't remember who went first last time. You go first. <laughs> I was going to say Helen. Helen? Helen isn't even in this. I, uh, okay. Like, I mean, I was just thinking like. It's all right. Go patient, ahead. Like, just, just the fact that she's being so like put upon. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I just, I feel for her. Gotcha. <laughs> I 100% thought you were going to pick blue. Really? Yeah. Huh. My most valuable character is Gansey. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Because his enthusiasm is what gets everybody to this place. Mm, it's true. And it sweeps people along. And you. I think this is one of the first times. I mean, I found Gansey charming before this. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the first times where it's like, oh, this dude is like someone I would totally hang out with right. <laughs> someone I would totally like nerd out about stuff with. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard to pick a character. Like that's kind of why I went with Helen uh, is because this is so crucial to all of them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I really did think that it would come down to because they are the POVs basically mm-hmm. that it Blue would come down to Blue and Gansey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to go Gansey. Do we okay. go shampoo it? I'm sure. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> That's okay because it kind of makes more sense than mine okay. anyway. So. <laughs> well, all right. Well, and the other thing was, this is the first time we are in kind of a bottle episode with just the four mains. Right. So mm-hmm. it ha- in my mind, it had to either basically be Gansey Blue, Ronan, or Adam. Mm-hmm. And Ronan's a supporting character. Adam's kind of a supporting character, too. Right. And so really, it does come down to, to me, it came down to either Blue, Gansey, or possibly Caveswater. Mm-hmm. Although I think, you know. Yeah. I think Caveswater is more of a character in later. Later chapters, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, moving on to the Maggie watch. Maggie has been working on the art for a box for the hardcovers of the Raven Cycles, and it is gorgeous. She put it up on Kickstarter, and it funded completely overnight. The campaign will, however, go until February 17th. Mm -hmm. They're not all purchased. The numbers are limited to 4,000 boxes total. Mm -hmm. So hopefully there will still be a few remaining by the time this episode drops. Yeah, we'll see. However, she's also released the piece on Society6 for prints and other merch. And I might get a mug or a print or a towel or something. It's really pretty. It's gorgeous. It's so pretty. But you can check out her Kickstarter and her Society6 page and we'll link to both. Mm -hmm. 
And then our supporter shout out this time. It's a couple of people, but not to minimize any of them. It just happened to be that there was a flurry of folks tweeting at us while we were on break around Christmas Mm -hmm. and the holidays. And it was really so much fun. Yeah, it was. It was so good. Shannon and I were having our annual found family sleepover. Mm -hmm. And every time something new came through, we would get excited and share it with each other. It was great. Everyone else there was like, what are you doing? What are you guys? Why are are you giggling in the corner? I don't understand. So thank you to Philippa, Hannah, and Nicole for making our holidays bright. Woohoo! Thank you guys so much. Yeah, we love it. And one other note. <laughs> it's actually one. <laughs> Today, which would be February 15th, if mm-hmm. you're listening to it on the day that it releases, right, is the last day you can get in touch to enter the Make Way for the Raven King giveaway being hosted on Tumblr and for us, Twitter. Uh-huh. And please check our social media pages for more information. And make sure if you have a Tumblr to look at all the other cool stuff that is being offered by other folks in the chain. Because there's some really great stuff. I wish I could get some of the custom artwork myself. People Uh are doing fan drawings. So the responses have also been just really thoughtful and touching and beautiful. So thank you for participating and good luck. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Our next episode will cover chapters 25 and 26 of The Raven Boys. And... With a deep dive on maybe something to be determined. Sorry. (laughs) We're not sure yet what the deep dive will be, but... And insert deep dive here. However, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule, so follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next, Mm -hmm. and please send us your thoughts, because yes, as previously mentioned, we love hearing from you guys. Absolutely. And you can find us practically everywhere on social media at R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com. Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com and you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via gmail at substanceparty with all the A's taken out S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com if we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. <laughs> the Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. And again, we hope you've enjoyed the episode. And until next time, whoop whoop, whoop Raven whoop. Girls! Right on. Yay, we got it done. And then they discover that the raven is made of crushed oyster oyster shell. And Gansey says, oyster shell, oyster, we're both going to have problems with this, oyster shells on bare rock. What do you think of that? I think that there's no way crushed, oy, crushed, oyster, crushed oyster shells would last 600 years in the Virginia Hills. The, 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 the. <laughs>